Hello Hello there. there. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, everyone. This is episode, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, 30. 30 episodes. And um, just like last week, we are so happy to have a guest. We have uh, Jared the Dark Jedi from the Nerd Academy podcast. Um, How you doing, Jared? I'm and I'm honored to be here. I love getting to uh, do guest spots. It's like my favorite thing to do. Uh, so yeah, very happy, very honored to be on, and very excited getting to the getting to the weeds here with you guys. Yeah, it, we love having guests on. We, we're doing this like guest fever right now, where we're having, I think, four guests on it this month. So um, it's uh, we love doing it. Um, so yeah, maybe let's get to know you a little bit. So um, how do you get into Star Wars? Oh man, I I've been a Star Wars fan for pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, I re- the funny story. I uh, originally my dad tried to show me a New Hope, and as journey would have it, I was utterly terrified uh, by Darth Vader. Um, the opening shootout in the Tanta V four, followed up by Vader. I freaked out and I was like, "Turn it off! Can't do it." Um, and then my mom. Uh, much to her chagrin now, uh, you know, 20 some years later decided she was like, no, no, I really think this is something you'd like. And then she was like, how about you give it another try? And then I watched it and then fell in love. Um, I grew up in that weird era where I was like five when revenge of the Sith came out. Oh, so So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really grew up on the old EU. Um, oh, yeah. you know, with the Clone Wars multimedia project, all of that stuff. So my perception of Star Wars uh, kind of was always an eclectic mix of all eras uh, into one pot. And um, unlike a lot of people who like were super into the EU and don't have a lot of things to say about the new Disney stuff, I absolutely love uh, new Disney Star Wars. I love when I see stuff from Legends because canon and you know the 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 cherry picking from legends and you know i i for as long as i can remember but i'm i'm definitely an eu baby yeah um this is hilarious because we just had another guest on last week mcdowell who also is a big fan of legends um and so you know i'm i'm we're both kind of fans of legends we kind of we kind of dipped our toes into legends i've read the the original Thrawn trilogy and the original Bane trilogy, but that's pretty much my extent into Legends. We actually just did um, the Clone Wars animated like miniseries. This was maybe a month, month and a half ago. Jacob, would you say? Yeah, um, the two thousand. We we talked about the, the two thousand three. Yeah, so Clone we did Wars that before. We, we did Clone Wars before the Clone Wars. I always hate how those two are separated by exactly one the. Um, <laughs> But like Jared, have you seen apart. the 2003? Oh, sorry. Have you seen the two the 2003? Yes, yes, I have, and I I absolutely. Um, I think that there is a the 2003 Tartakovsky Clone Wars is just such a very specific flavor of the franchise uh, it's really that I would like to see there. more of. Yeah, it, there's nothing you can really compare it to. I think the closest. Uh, closest of kin to it would probably be something like the uh, Galaxy of Adventure or whatever the whatever the, the the basically like the Star Wars anime bits that they draw now 
from time to time. I think that's the only thing you can really compare it to. But even then, there's a a grittiness to the 2003 Clone Wars stuff that I don't think translates uh, necessarily to the Galaxy of Adventures thing, which is fine. They're two different entities, and they yeah. should be that way. Um, but no, I, I I do find it hilarious. Um, you know, I'm among the people who will who when they think of Mace Windu, they don't think of Revenge of the Sith. They don't think of Attack of the Clones. Uh, they think of him beating a B2 super battle droid to death with his bare hands. Which uh, I love that moment. <laughs> so over the top and silly. Um, I also, one of my favorite lightsaber duels of all time is the fight between Anakin and Ventress on Yavin 4. Um, that fight is a masterstroke. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's on the list of things that I'm really disappointed never made its way into the Clone Wars. Uh, the, by the time that the show starts, Anakin has the scar over his eye. Um, yeah. And I wish we could have seen him get it from Ventress, but, you know, yeah. what could um, have been? Anyway, uh, le- before we get into the Clone Wars, a new episode of The Mandalorian released this week. Jacob hasn't seen it again. Uh, it's fine, though, because he's uh, permitted Jared and I to talk about the Harris, the Harris, uh Chapter 11. Um, we'll try to keep this short, but man, was this episode crazy. Uh, it was nuts. The basic plot of the episode, I realized I didn't do this well for Chapter 9. I think I probably did a little well, a little better for Chapter 10, but Chapter 11, um, uh, Mando lands the frog lady and back to her husband on Trask, uh, and then he gets entangled in some shenanigans, and he ends up finding Bo-Katan Kreis. Played by her animated voice actress, uh, Katie Sackoff. Um, and she points him to the way of a Jedi named Ahsoka Tano, who, you know, diehard fans of the Clone Wars and Rebels and all of those things will know. Uh, and uh, they take out an Imperial Gazanti transport uh, while doing it. Uh, so, what do you think about this episode, Jared? Absolutely loved it. Um, th- this is my favorite. You know, they, uh, one of my favorite things about The Force Awakens, oh, uh, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tie it back, uh, I promise, was the, the the way The Force Awakens is really good at like dropping nuggets for future material to kind of pick up on. Um, that's one of my favorite elements of that movie is just, you know, there's a little bit of drop, 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 and then you can follow the breadcrumb trail. This episode did that, and that's just a storytelling element I like a lot. Uh, and it's always in like the vague conversations between two people who already know what they're talking about. Um, the way the Bo-Katan confronts the uh, Imperial officer with the whole, you know, do you know where it is? Or does he have it? You already know what it and he are. You already know yeah. that it is the Darksaber and he is Moff Gideon. But at that little nugget, his response is excellent. Um, I really love the fact that Din kind of grew up in the Mandalorian version of the Church of Mormon. Um, that it's just this weird offshoot of the main thing. It's just this. It's kind of doing its own thing. Yeah, it's it, it's a really it's an it's an incredible episode. It's probably tied for second on my ranking of the episodes so far. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, man, she's hit it out of the park both times. Uh, I'm so glad she decided to return for a season two because 
Her episode last time was really, really good, and her episode this time was also really, really good. Uh, yeah, no, she absolutely hit it out of the park. There's no, there's no contesting that. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what Jacob thinks about it once he watches it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to I'm rag on you right now, right now, Jacob. Uh, but I, I know I've been slacking. I've been very, I've been very busy with other we're, things. We're so good. We're good. Let's get on to on Friday, but... the episodes we watched. We watched three episodes of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and guess what? They're actually all from the same season, and they go in order this time. Yay! because um, they, <laughs> they didn't last time uh, we've been having some chronology stuff but uh, we're talking about the Malevolence arc Rising Malevolence, Shadow of Malevolence and the very subtly named Destroy Malevolence uh, and uh, yeah uh, unless anyone else have, has anything else let's just get into it um, sounds so, good so um, Rising Malevolence Rising Malevolence um, we always talk about the fortune cookie at least now we do um, uh, the fortune cookie, I don't know if you caught this, uh, Jake, were you looking for the fortune cookies this time? Yeah, I, I was paying more attention to them this time. I took my cue, I took my cue from last time. It seems like that's going to be a matter of, <laughs> yeah, belief of is not a matter of choice, but of conviction, um, which I think ties in very well with this episode. It's not on the nose like last week's, um, some of the last week's were, um, it's, you can, you can see it, but they don't like absolutely hammer it down. It's not like. It, there's a line in there that's basically just that, but not that, like um, in Clone Cadets or something like that. Um, so, uh, first of all, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that the Separatists have a really big ship that's capable of destroying big objects. Such an original idea, guys. Um, such, a, <laughs> such an incredibly original idea. Um, a, a super weapon in Star Wars? That's that's groundbreaking. <laughs> it's really groundbreaking. Um, it it um, one of the things I actually love is that it doesn't let the it's another Death Star thing slow it down. That's not that's not a, an issue in this arc. It's just like, yep, it's here. We're 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 rolling with that. Um, uh, uh, I. Yeah. I think the issue with the, the the super weapons in Star Wars is how often they boil down to being a Death Star. Like, if it's not yeah. specifically a, a a spherical planet killer, I think you can get with it. Like, I think the Malevolence is fine. The Star Forge, even though that's a Legends thing, you know, I even don't necessarily have a problem with like the One Sith fleet. Uh, in um. Rise of Skywalker, because even though it's a bunch of planet killers, they like never it's not just get used. a giant murder ball. Yeah, yeah. It it does Definitely. it it does like you know the more times it's used, it does. I I will give it this. It does feel a little bit like come on, really. It's like the the Emperor is building a second Death Star. He didn't learn from last time. Okay, that's fine. It's another Death Star in the Force Awakens. Really, we're doing another Death Star. Um. But, you know, I, I get it. It's an easy, um, this is actually what I love. I love how at no point is there ever any, um, like, firing into the exhaust port. There's no, like, chain reaction that blows it up. That's not how the malevolence goes down. I mean, we're reaching ahead, but, like, I love that that's not how the, like, I, I love how it's not just some Y-wing just flying in and blowing up the ship from the inside. I love that they chose a more creative way to take it out than just blow it up from the inside. Yeah, yeah. I think that it, it while it is in many ways a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say a ripoff, but it definitely has 
it, it definitely has a lot of references maybe to the Death Star and it feels kind of similar in some ways. I don't think, I, I, I kind of don't think that's a problem because it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see them explore in this different medium kind of the, um, the, the fact of the, the clones having to, to face off with this massive, super scary force and this, this mysterious, uh, almost, um, omnipotent feeling omnipotent feeling weapons i think that's an interesting i, I think I, I like how they kind of explore that from a slightly different angle and it isn't just about I, I i feel that it's okay to have there be another super weapon because it feels more similar in terms of the psychological impact of it and the the way it makes the show feel emotionally than it does plot wise yeah i agree so i personally didn't have a problem with it yeah um yeah so... totally Go ahead. I mean to cut you off. Yeah. No, 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 you're good. I I think it also makes sense lore-wise that as much as we like to make the joke about like especially now with the knowledge from the Rise of Skywalker that Palpatine was you know show running everything going on with the First Order as well that you know, he's kind of a one-trick pony with the whole okay, we're going to build a big thing that destroys other big things and I'm going to um, shoot like my a, hand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the main protagonist to kill me. They won't. And then I'm and gonna then sweet talk them anyway. and then Yeah. So I really like that there's that outdoor and again it makes sense for the separatists, you know, even though they're the bad guys, quote unquote bad guys of the Clone Wars, there's a level of them being the underdog because they're going up against like the already established republic. And even though they had their military ready, the Republic, by and large, has more resources. So the fact that the Separatist Alliance comes out swinging with a with a weapon that can negate the Republic's advantage on them, I think makes sense and is really cool. And you know, rewatching this as an adult, you realize that you know the the tension of the Millennium being destroyed isn't necessarily oh, if we lose this, we lose the war, because obviously they don't. It's the sheer amount of resources they put into malevolence. Yeah, yeah. it's a massive problem. They're like, yeah, yeah, like we can't afford to lose this craft. I will say though, Duke kind of makes is, that clear. Even though it is not a Death Star, even though it's very made very clear that it's not like at all like the Death Star, the purpose and the like the way it's used is very Death Star esque. Um, we oh, did absolutely. This, we did this last episode when we were uh, when we were talking about the three episodes, but there's a certain part point in the episodes where I talk about um, uh, about um, what I call like low hanging fruit, um, which is like the Easter egg. So, like for example, every time the malevolence fires its ion cannon, every single time, the shot <laughs> of its ion cannon is taken directly from a new hope. Every single time. Same shot. You mean the, yep. the shot of the droids looking yeah. away? Every single time. Yeah. I think uh, that's I think that's cool. Without fail. Uh the the pod that uh Plo Koon and his clone buddies escape in is pod 1977, or the release date of the New Hope. Uh I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Uh there's some other stuff, uh 
uh, oh, literally the first time they fire the malevolence, the line, you may fire when ready, is used, which is directly from A New Hope. Um, and there's one more. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Plo Koon says to one of his clone commanders, I don't believe in chance, um, which is, I think, ripped from Obi-Wan's and for, uh, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Um, just, just kind of those, like, Star Wars loves itself. Star Wars inherently loves itself. It references itself. It's like poetry. It rhymes. I'm yeah. not the one who brought it up, people. It was Jared. Um, I like that quote way too much. <laughs> um, I absolutely I... love that quote. I think it's absolutely beautiful, and I think it's one of the core tenets of Star Wars storytelling. My favorite uh, that, part of that they, quote there's... is the thing that comes after it, which he says, uh, well, hopefully it'll work, which I think is the, co the contrast of it's like poetry of this carefully structured narrative. And it'll work when we throw stuff together. Yep. Yep, that is George Lucas's work ethic to a T, and I love him for it. Yeah, it's... It, um, Jacob, do you have any other low-hanging fruits that I missed? You mentioned that earlier um, before we were recording that you had some low-hanging fruits that you were... Well, not for this episode, but since you're throwing it over to me, I wanted to kind of talk about the uh, the way that Anakin is, is portrayed in this episode. Because that, but because I think it's interesting that uh now that Plo Koon needs the, now that Plo Koon is requesting reinforcements, all of a sudden Anakin wants to follow the orders of the council, and I think that that that's interesting to me that he's more eager to follow the orders of the council, given that he has such a reputation, I think in a lot of the fans' minds and in my mind, of of being a total maverick and of not not following the rules and just doing whatever he pleases, but the council doesn't want to discipline him because he's so effective. In, in the battlefield and in the Clone Wars. But I think that his, his his oscillation between completely disobeying everyone, the Republic, the Jedi Council, Obi-Wan, his master, and and also trying to stick to it in this and trying to show restraint is kind of emblematic of his own internal struggle, which we see developing throughout the Clone Wars, where on the one side he has following orders, and that kind of represents the Jedi path, and and then and then you have disobeying them to fight or help loved ones, which which I think represents giving into anger and aggression, obviously, and being guided more by your attachments. Like he he probably wanted to. I assume he wanted to go after Plo Koon and and help take down Grievous and help protect a fellow Jedi and their clones. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. That may, maybe a little more, may, maybe. Anakin's relationship to the Jedi Order in terms of following following orders, sorry for using that word twice, is, is more nuanced than at first glance. I think so. Absolutely. I think, yeah. I think you're onto something there. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, my friend. Um, but I think that there's something really fun there, especially with early Clone Wars, uh, that we see that Anakin, you know, Anakin's whole method is... He's like, yeah, I'm going to follow the orders in my own kind of way. It's like, yeah, my fleet's going to be over there. I'm going to go off and do my own thing because I'm Anakin Skywalker. You know, screw you, pay me kind of attitude. Um, I think there's also something really interesting in the, in the way that we've not yet seen him lose his faith in the council yet. Still yeah, trust that. He's not yeah, been he's stabbed in. in the back with 
Obi-Wan faking his death and Ahsoka being cast out from the order. Yeah, we kind of it's interesting to see him in an earlier an earlier stage. And one of the things I really like about the Clone Wars, like you said, Jared, is how we is how we get to see his relationship with the Jedi Council deteriorate through through these years of the war. It's done very subtly too. It's done very it's not done all at once. It's done over time, which is something that I don't think was the best about the prequels, honestly. It was like it was all it felt very subtle in Revenge of the Sith where he was, when he was constantly like, Okay, so I don't like you now. But in the Clone Wars, we get to see, I feel like, him slipping and losing slowly losing trust. Um it's gonna happen with Obi Wan, as he mentioned, it's gonna happen most uh importantly with Ahsoka very soon. Uh not very soon, but like soonish. Uh, what other thing? Oh yeah, here's a here's something. So, um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things I do on this podcast quite a bit is I have some logistical problems with stuff. I think of logistical problems like what doesn't exactly make sense. Um, and this one's about music. Uh, I don't know if either of you noticed, but when the battle droid is um <laughs> like cutting open the window, he's humming the Imperial March. I it's, didn't even notice that. I just knew he was humming, but it's really it it it's slightly altered. But I the only reason I know is because the subtitles say "humming Imperial March." Um, wow. But so I want to so you know what my logistical question is going to be. So we're saying that song existed in universe before the Empire, and we know it did because it was also being played in major key. In Rebels, the, near the end of season one of Rebels. Yeah. Post-Empire. This is pre-Empire. Yeah, exactly. So it, no, it wouldn't be the Imperial March because the Empire doesn't exist. So did, does that mean that the Empire actually stole the Imperial March? I think that's maybe what we can conclude. Um, this, this, <laughs> this is, is a, the kind of stuff I love. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stuff we do. We, so we, silly. So I know it's it's, it's ridiculous. So Sue Palpatine for musical plagiarism. It's a campaign violation of uh, copyright law. Yeah, but while we're while we're on the topic of 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 the humming battle droid, can we talk about that scene where the battle droids are just they're going around cutting open the the pods and letting these clones die horrible deaths? And for some reason, it seems in Star Wars. At this point, pretty much, there is sound in space. So we hear the clones screaming in agony as they're sucked out into the void. And yet the, you have these battle droids cracking jokes, being funny, going around humming, saying things well, like... They don't have feelings. Well, yeah, but they're saying things like, well, time to open her up, or uh, let's put the squeeze on them. And j- the, that, to me, was not... It, it was It was so striking and kind of hilariously baffling in a way the the juxtaposition of that and and the way that the, it, that was presented as it was the battle droids being super comedic and yet also having this kind of like seeing in plain sight these clones dying on on when and we're only one season in this is when this is when the clone wars is really more of a this is when it's the most the most a kids show so I just, I just thought that was crazy that scene. <laughs> We're going to see so many times. This is our um and this is our annual episode. It's not a kids show thing. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Jared? I, I heard you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. I I apologize. There's a bit of a delay there. I think that one of the most interesting 
and uh, mind-boggling things about Star Wars is easily the really weird ethical paradox that is created by the droids seemingly all being semi-sentient. Yeah. There's this weird gap between, oh, they're programmed to behave a certain way, but also they feel fear and pain and sorrow. Like, you, you go back to the Clone Wars movie when Ventress like lifts up the droid and just yeets it down the chasm. Yeah. Where he just is like, no, 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 no. He's screaming in terror. Yeah. But I just got promoted. uh, It was the last episode when we were doing ambush. It's, but I just got promoted. Well, you, you wouldn't think a droid program would care about promotion. Why would you promote a droid? Why would you not just, design a droid to be programmed to be a captain commander general they have the tactical droids that perform their tasks and their task is to be an armchair general why would you promote a droid what even the point of that can the droid act with particular valor and bravery if it's programmed to not care if it gets itself killed there's so many weird questions. Yes, <laughs> the it, the yeah. battle droids are just so strange. I know of themselves. I love them though. Yeah. Yeah. So, we did this whole thing about battle droid humor last time because we got some like primo battle droid humor. Um, uh, you know, there was, um, uh, that was a terrible shot. Ah, well, that's my programming. There's a good one from <laughs> Destroy Malevolence, um, which violates something in Shadow of Malevolence, which I love. Um, when uh, Obi-Wan does the thing where he uses the droidicas like a bowling ball to bowl the, um, to bowl the droidicas back into the, all the battle droids, uh, about the, one of the battle droids just looks at Grievous and goes, well, that was impressive. And then he just punches him, which is just, like, so hilarious and also kind of so, like, you can see Grievous's, like, just how much he does not care about, like, following Dooku's orders. Because Dooku told him in the last episode, Grievous, these battle droids are expensive. You can't just destroy them at a whim. And yet he does it anyway. Yeah. Going back to what Jared said for a second. Grievous Grievous once. Yeah. The battle droids are so strange. On the Battle of Teth, we see a battle droid refer to a a, a dwarf spider droid as boy. Does that mean that they have like a pet really? Like... He says, good shot, boy, and then and then he like pets him on the head or something. So like are battle droids capable of forming like, I think there could be a battle droid society. I think that the battle droids could revolt against the separatist Senate and, and form their own form their own government and form Do their own economy and down. their own belief system. Yeah, I think if they weren't all shut down, that would be imagine if they weren't shut down. Imagine if they were just semi sentient battle droids learning how to like trying to learn how to appreciate life outside of outside of being a war droid wandering the galaxy me honestly i think that would be awesome i would love to see it just sounds like a really silly a way sillier version of irobot i mean we get a little bit of that in uh the freemaker adventures i know that there's a character (laughs) there called rogr and they they write an it's a b1 battle droid that writes an autobiography i mean come on how crazy is that trenches to wrenches yeah, what's yeah. the i can't Sorry. remember the episode but what you would like with like the weird battle droid feelings i think the most depressing one is the one that just gets like really depressed and just fatalistic 
Oh, like it, it, it sees or hears somebody kick on their lightsaber and the other battle droids. I don't know if it's an episode or not. I, I know can't remember. About. I know what you're they immediately about. pull out the other droids, pull out their blasters, and they go, Don't even bother. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah. wait, he, he the, the battle seven. droids are like, The battle droid goes, ah, I thought you said one battle, battle droid one goes, I thought you said they couldn't find us down here. And then Anakin has on his lightsaber. The other battle droid says, Come on, there's three of us and one of them. And then the third battle it droid just matter. says, It won't matter. And that is just. Wow. I think that's season God. seven. I think that's that's no, that's not season seven. That's definitely not season seven. Really, I think it's season. No, no, no. That's definitely. I think that's definitely from season three or season two. Okay, I I could have sworn it was from the Bad Batch arc, but I could be wrong. No, no, um, not. I don't think it's a Bad Batch arc. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, so um, well, the main plot of Rising Malevolence revolves around um. Plo Koon's Star Destroyer being absolutely ripped apart by the Malevolence and um, Plo and a bunch of his clone troopers having to seek refuge in an escape pod and then later out of an escape pod. Um, before we get into a lot, a lot of the philosophical things for this, um, let's do the meme now. What, what don't you say, Jacob? Uh, which, uh, which meme are you referring to? Um, I'm talking about... Uh, the very famous not to me meme that happens at the end oh, of the Oh, the expendable. I have, yeah. a, I have a lot to say about We're that. We're just clones, sir. We're meant to be expendable. Not to me. I think there's, I, I there's love that There's philosophical significance to that, but we just gotta talk about that's been completely overblown into a meme, and the Clone Wars doesn't actually have that many memes, but this one's this one's a big one. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we gotta mention it. I just realized, imagine what Revenge of the Sith is going to be like for us. It's just going to be constant. Okay, there's a Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I love the the juxta- I love the contrast between the way Grievous treats his underlings and the way we see Plo Koon treating his underlings. It's really cool yeah. because, you know, we see Dooku creating in Grievous. Grievous seems to be something, he tries to hide it, but it seems like Grievous is kind of an approval junkie. But Dooku yeah. continually just spurns him and criticizes him and never gives him any positive reinforcement. And then Grievous, in turn, takes it out on these semi, on his semi-sentient battle droid soldiers. But Who Plo are expensive, Koon, apparently. Yeah, but what I love about Plo Koon is, I love, I love the positive message here, that by Plo Koon, by reaffirming his loyalty to his soldiers and, and, their, and their value to him and their value to each other, they end up using their mutual trust and their reliance on one another to overcome great odds and survive the the survive the superior droid forces it's that are a, trying to hunt con- them down. It's a continuation of ambush in the cave scene. Um, yeah, it definitely is. I think I think it definitely makes sense that you would say that because I think in this early season they're definitely trying. I think the writers would probably be definitely trying to set up that okay, we're going to approach clones differently. Then in the movies, we want to see more of them individually. We want to hear about their stories and their struggles and their what makes them, arm. every single one of them is unique. Yeah. And thoughts about that, Jared? Yeah, no, it's it's a really sweet sentiment. And it's, again, you know, the it makes the ethical questions of the Clone War really interesting. Um, yeah. Because, again like, again, like, this is, this is, you know, a universe where the Jedi purge doesn't happen in order 66 doesn't happen. Like how do you reintegrate millions of clones into the galaxy? Do you just always have a military force ready to go? Like does, because 
made a big deal about the fact that the Republic did not have a standing army. Yeah, and the clones were used as... Well, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're 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 bred for warfare. Do they continue to be part of a standing military for the Republic so that they can still have some lot in life? I think that um, factoring in Plo Koon's general reverence for life uh, that makes him very interesting as a character because on one hand, he's very pragmatic. Uh, he sees things in a very black and white way, but what he sees in that, that light, the his, his priority of preserving lives um, manifests in a really beautiful way. And I love that moment as much as it's memed. It's a really beautiful moment. And it shows that Anakin was on to something with the whole, you know, compassion is integral to a Jedi's life. You need to love and care about people. What's wrong is Anakin's methods of the whole thing and caring. Um, but he was never taught how, but like, yeah. He was never taught how, you know, that that was George Lucas's biggest thing where he was Anakin and Padme's relationship fails because it is a selfish love. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really nice seeing like the way that a Jedi loves and not necessarily in a romantic sense, obviously here, but they, that sense of no, you're going to survive if I can will it. So, yeah, yeah, which is just beautiful. I love this sentiment. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, and I can't believe, again, I'm bringing this back up from last episode, but uh, one of the things I'm excited to see is uh, the Bad Batch, where that's probably going to be explored. You know, these clones, the Bad Batch, we don't know if they executed Order 66. They could have. They could not have. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who they would have killed. But either way, they don't really have a purpose anymore. It's like the Empire is doing the Stormtrooper thing, and, you know, they, it seems like, from what we've heard about the story of the Bad Batch, it seems like they're going to be involved with the Netherworld and not involved with, um, the Empire. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think that's going to be one of the, I hope that's going to be one of the main questions addressed in the Bad Batch is, what do the clones do after a war that is literally named after them? Like, that's how integral they were to the war. They got the war named after them because they were that important. Um, Absolutely. I agree. I think that, like, the Bad Batch unto itself is so interesting because I know on uh, Shameless Plug Nights of the Nerd Republic, my Star Wars podcast, um, Go right ahead. We, we, <laughs> we were talking about whatever the Bad Batch story that, like, you know, my elevator pitch for that, as it were, would be that Know from the unfinished and unreleased Clone Wars uh, story reels, the Bad Batch at one point we see them stationed on Kashyyyk, and how interesting it would be to see Order sixty six through their eyes, because obviously Yoda makes it off alive, but Luminara and Dilly was also stationed on Kashyyyk. So what the hell happened there? <laughs> There's an opportunity to show the Bad Batch going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Jedi Master um, and getting to see this elite group of clones. Again, every every clone you get a new perspective as to how they could possibly process uh, the heinous act they were bred to commit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the Bad Batch would be a particularly interesting group of clones to see them in real time 
commit this atrocity and then later on grieve it. Yeah. Um, one last thing. I forgot the low-hanging fruit for this episode. In this episode, when Ahsoka senses that Plo Koon is alive, that's ripped from Empire Strikes Back when Leia senses that Luke is alive and um, guides the Falcon to where Luke is. Um, that's, I think, all I have for Rising Malevolence. If any, if either of you two have anything for Rising Malevolence, then, yeah, go ahead. It was a pretty interesting episode because it was about the Malevolence, but it also really wasn't. Well, I about, thought that overall... Yeah. I think I had it made me think way more about the clones and about Plo Koon and about Anakin than it than it did about the malevolence or anything about the malevolence really. Yeah, I really do like that actually. Let's get on to Shadow of Malevolence. The moral of Shadow of Malevolence is easy is the path to wisdom for those not blinded by ego. I have a lot another, to say about that in a minute. Another way to say it is keep your ego in check. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you have a lot to say about that, Jacob, go right ahead. Okay, so before we get into the nuts and bolts, I guess I can kind of talk about some more, I guess, broader broader ideas. So easy is the path to wisdom for those not blind to ego. I think this is really connected to the episode because... We see a ton of ego in this episode. It comes from Anakin, it comes from Grievous, and it comes from the clones. And I think that at its core, if we're looking at the, the message and kind of the people involved in this story, this episode is really the tale of two generals, uh, Grievous and Anakin, and how they deal with their ego. Both of them have superiors and leaders who are advising them caution, but they don't listen. Like Dooku is advising caution and trying to hold Grievous back from a striking out recklessly and Plo Koon is expecting is expressing his skepticism of Anakin's plans and he's asking him to pay attention to clone casualties which kind of grows off of what we saw of Plo Koon in the last episode where he he loves he loves the clones he really wants to make sure that they're safe even even if that even if that means prioritizing safety even over destroying destroying the malevolence and we we see him trying to impart that on Anakin and Anakin, Anakin's whole plan of flying through the nebula and then like doing the whole trench run, kind of attack the bridge thing, it's all based on his abilities as a Jedi and a master pilot, which is where the ego comes in because he kind of just assumes that the clones can keep up with him. And and even though they can't, the clones also have an ego problem because they keep they keep saying, oh, Shadow Squadron, we got this. They keep assuring Anakin that they can even though they can't but i think ultimately it is up to anakin as a leader to try and try and see past that and and make the the good choice for the group but it's anakin's choices and anakin's actions that that lead to the death of the pilot matchstick and to a ton of clones and only once he listens to ahsoka and kind of sets his ego aside does he succeed because he has to get he has to give up the uh the rivalry with Grievous and he has to decide, you know what, I can't I can't go straight for killing Grievous. We just gotta save the hospital. We gotta disable the ion cannon and hope that it overloads. But that ends up helping them prevail in the end. And this really contrasts how Grievous is presented in this episode, where Grievous never gives up his ego. He keeps treating his battle droids as expendable because there's always another to take their place. And he has a super reckless attitude. He refuses to listen to those around him 
And that ends up being his undoing because he treats his troops badly. He even opens fire on them. And so I think in the end, I think that it's a really strong moral talking about ego because Anakin prevails because he decides to, to, to prioritize those around him and, and try and listen to them and, and see them as valuable individuals. Whereas Grievous simply remains so focused on trying to destroy the enemy that he ends up destroying himself. So okay, I really I enjoy the malevolence now. No, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm I, wrote, I wrote all that out, so I just was really no, anxious I'm, I'm to joking. make sure that no, I could express that. I think you that. covered everything thematic that I would do for this episode. Um, Jared, if you have any thoughts on that, that was that was great. Honestly, that was awesome. I think that one of my favorite things about this arc is the way that you guys had said earlier. Season one is the most. Star Wars The Clone Wars is a kid's show. Um, while also having all of the uh, it's a kid's show meme moments as well. Uh, you know, like Ventress, you know, just straight up stabbing uh, the one guy through the back. Um, Argaius, that's, that's going to be, well, that's going to be like a couple months from now. Yeah, Cloak of Darkness. Good episode. Yeah, in Cloak of Darkness, you know, so there's still some darker moments. However, I think this this arc, even though there are some more childish elements there, does capture the tone of Clone Wars as a whole. Uh, even though that there are episodes that get a lot more into like the weird what's going on in the background of the war, uh, to a certain extent, this is the most like this is what this war feels like, and I love this element of. This rivalry between Anakin and Grievous that we never get to see follow through to its conclusion, obviously. Uh, but that, you know, in the same way that Anakin, ironically, we see an attack of the clones, he walks into that room with Count Dooku. You're going to pay for all the Jedi you killed today. Nope. You know, and we see that energy from him where it's like, you killed my brothers and sisters. You're going to suffer for it. And it's that same mentality with Greece, where it's at like how many countless Jedi and clones and innocents have their blood on your hands. I'm here to avenge them. Also, by your the times way, how, run out. How many uh, Jedi and clones have had their have had Grievous's blood on their hands? Based on this show, not that many, honestly. Um, if we're yeah, to- you're right. If we're going right? off of Clone Wars, but like, and believe me, I love Grievous. Grievous is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Uh, we covered <laughs> Grievous in the in the 2003 Clone Wars. Grievous was nonstop crazy in that. I ranted for like 10 minutes over about how much I love Grievous in that. And Grievous is, to his credit, I think is still actually quite intimidating in this. But as we get on, I don't think Grievous ever kills a Jedi above not our web level in this entire series. I mean, you're probably right. And I think that's one of the things that hamstrings the show is that you can't show Grievous for being the grizzly butcher. He wasn't. Um, but what, you know, and again, I agree that they don't do a good job of showing Grievous being this force of nature. Uh, however, it's talked about a lot. They talk about Grievous killing a lot of Jedi. Um, so, there's there's that element Anakin that compassion manifests in this like need to avenge yeah and I think that's really fascinating and I love that like his big moment in this episode is going 
okay, I can bring Grievous to justice. I can put him down now. However, the reason I want to kill him is for the amount of clones and Jedi he's killed. If I keep this up, it is going to result in the death of more clones and more Jedi. And for the like on the short list of times where Anakin's able to finally square cognitive dissonance in his head and goes, Oh, I'm part of the problem if I'm this dedicated to killing Grievous. Because yeah. and I, I think that there's a, there's an interesting dichotomy there. I, I want to go back and touch on something that Jared pointed out, which I think was what was I, I thought was really insightful was the Anakin's need for revenge. Not only do we see that here, I would say that, at least the way I see it, his need for vengeance is pretty much something that's driving him his entire life. Like, the feeling that he has been wronged by all these different people, by the galaxy, and that, and that, he, he, and that the weight of all these people that have suffered injustice and these people that have died are kind of on his shoulders, and, his, and that's his responsibility to avenge. I think, I think that's really... Interesting that you bring that up because that doesn't just happen here. I would say that happens in a lot of the Clone Wars. That happens. That happens in Attack of the Clones when he he's at his mother's grave, he's at Shmi's grave, and he says, "I'll become the most powerful Jedi." So I, I think that you're really onto something there, Jared, with the idea that he is pretty much motivated by vengeance for most of his uh, most of his career as a Jedi. Absolutely, he is. Thank you, because I just I think it's something that isn't talked about enough because a lot of people talk about so quick to anger and it's all this and they talk about like the personal vendettas between him and Dooku and him and the sand people and all that which yeah those are there like his ego like we were talking about earlier he's like well oh, everybody else can keep up with me yeah and he there needs to be that recognition where like and one would think at, at face value recognizing his superiority over the clones as a pilot would be the egotistical move. But there's an implicit like assumption that everybody else can do what the you know, prodigal pilot who's also a Jedi Knight can do. Definitely. How and, many times you know, said you, in the Clone Wars that Anakin is the sorry about but how many times has said in the Clone Wars that Anakin is the best star pilot in the galaxy in Star Wars just in general? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I, I really there's an interesting element of his character you know like you were saying with you know that the death of his mother goes a lot further than just the first time he tasted innocent blood yeah that yeah. it is it it began this complex that he has to prevent or at the very least avenge every wrongdoing he sees yeah i think that anakin is kind of as a character I don't know if this is by design, but it to me it seems like he he is like the the strongest example I can think of. Of he he's kind of this feeling that I think is kind of intrinsic to the human experience for at least at least a little bit for most people I would say, which is the fe the feeling that you've been like wronged and the feeling that like the the emotional feeling of. So it's like like feeling like society, someone has has wronged me, and being being motivated or being really angry because of that. And I think that, yeah, I think that he's 
he's kind of an embodiment of that in his purest form, it seems like. And it goes all the way back. And he has such a strong need to kind of fight back against the injustice that he sees. And he feels, he, he like, what Anakin kind of carries every wrong that he's experienced with him. So he feels so outraged, I think. And he projects it into the galaxy as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and I think that on top of all of that and on top of Anakin's, you know, complex there, um, one of the other things, and I can't remember the name of the of the person who made the video. I can't for the life of me. But there's this really good YouTube video I saw like maybe a year or two ago um, that shows all of the Anakin Vader parallels in Clone Wars. And it's not just in like the scenes, like, you know, we all know in season seven where whenever like, you know, Ahsoka and the Martez sisters were flying off a of Coruscant and it's clearly, you know, the same scene from Return of the Jedi. Um, but it's, it's the little things and his mannerisms and the way that he walks and the way that he stands, you know, at him at the end of the episode standing between the Y-Wings with Ahsoka and Plo Koon, like... Yeah, there's that, you know, it's the iconic, you know, Star Wars tableau of, you know, here's the here's the last shot, all our heroes are standing together. What you know, you have yeah. that. But like the way this the way he stands where it's like shoulders back, hands clasped behind him, that is Vader. And that is one of the things that I love about Clone Wars is that they show the train they they show that the the physicality that the Darth Vader always been Anakin Skywalker. The Clone Wars is the physical and is the embodiment of that Episode One poster, which is An in the picture of Anakin walking with the shadow of Vader right behind him. It's the it it does so much to do that. I definitely agree with that. I think I drummed up some uh, some trivia for this. I did too. Um, first of all, the obvious one is um, Shadow Squadron is um like that whole sequence is completely and utterly ripped from red squadron and a new hope like not even close uh cut the chatter ahsoka cut the chatter red too um all of that yep. stuff all the stuff in the y-wings is all just from episode four it's not even close um uh plo from a certain point of views ahsoka at the end and obi-wan tells this is a fun one because it's not calling back it's actually technically calling forward um, Obi-Wan says, let's finish what Anakin started, which I love because it's not the first, it's not going to be the last time somebody does that. Um, referencing Kylo in The Force Awakens. Uh, Jacob, do you have some trivia that I missed? Sorry if I... Oh yeah, this. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, um, I, I guess, I don't know if this is an Easter egg, just something really funny that I noticed that kind of connects back to what we were saying. The B1, there's a B1 that says, I have a bad feeling about this. Yep. So would they be programmed to say that or 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 have they actually somehow developed or been endowed with some some form of feeling i would i think i think i would say that i think they can feel because i think without they can having emotions. a brain the droids somehow have some form of intuition I, yeah they really I, do i love if that was just one of the program okay everyone standard droid procedure i have a bad feeling about this that, that's what I'd love. Um, but I don't think so. But like, anyway, yeah. Yeah. So we see on the side of a gunship, a, uh, there's a gun, okay, there's a gunship called the Crumb Bomber in the hangar scene. 
with a Kowalkian mm. monkey lizard on the side. This same artwork appears in Resistance and Rebels. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, where? You've heard of a gonk droid, but get ready for a plunk droid. PLNK. Okay. So, I know. I think that's fine. The, the, sm the smooth design of the Y-Wings from the Clone Wars was apparently based on the idea, and I've, I've, I, I saw this in a... Um, I, re I read this on StarWars.com and also in a Legends book. So it's been around for idea, but the idea that the Rebellion, the idea that the Clone Wars Y-Wings are way smoother comes from, for the backstory, that the Rebellion Y-Wings, obviously much chunkier and more uh, exposed machinery, the Rebellion Y-Wings had been stripped down and their outer armor had been removed for easier maintenance and better thermal performance. And personally, I have to say, I love the super long, smooth look of the Clone Wars Y-Wings. Somehow they remind me of a, a, a big old Cadillac, sort of. There's, like they have that sense Jekyll of a, with his vehicle references. <laughs> the briefing chairs that all the clones are sitting in, they have rolly wheels on them. The chairs have rolly wheels. And according to StarWars.com, these are the same kind of chair or a replica of the chairs that were used in Grand Moffs in the meeting in the Death Star in C in a sorry, episode four, A New Hope. So Tarkin, Maudie, we Jack. can we can assume that Tarkin and the admirals may have had a may have had a rolly chair races that we don't know about. They just like zipped around their chairs across. <laughs> I like I like to That's think about this. the that super scary old man just giggling wildly, kicking himself across the floor. Joy Malevolent. First of all, can either of you tell me what happened in this episode? I'm I'm a little unclear from the title, just, just a little bit. It's the like, malevolence so, gets destroyed. There's a ship called the Malevolence. Also, oh, unrelated, another meme, and I didn't mean to cut you off, man. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, go ahead. Oh, go it's okay. That's all I was gonna say. Another meme. I love this <laughs> meme a while ago, where it was like a list of all the different names of the uh, separatist craft. And it was just a battle droid looking at another battle droid like, are we sure we're not the bad guys? Yeah. What do we got? <laughs> yeah, here's a subjugator class. Here's the malevolence. That's, yeah, that's, are we that's sure so we're true. fighting for freedom? We absolutely yeah, it, sure. It's like, the, it's like the Monty Python. Are we sure we're not the baddies? Baddies? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so I totally agree. The moral of this episode is a plan is only as good as those who see it through, which I think is pretty much directed at Anakin for this episode because he his plan is just, there's a point in Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan gets up to so much sass this episode, which I know you love, Jacob, uh, but uh, there, there's a sassy line from Obi-Wan, he's like, so, you, so we're just gonna go in there, hope they don't notice us. And Anakin's like, yeah, uh-huh, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, and But because it's Anakin and Obi-Wan, it works. Um, yeah. which is what I love. Yeah, yeah I think the moral <laughs> kind of comes into play because as soon as Padme gets baited, or as soon as Padme basically gets tricked into jumping out of hyperspace directly on top of the cruiser or directly on top of the Grievous's Dreadnought just so that she can get kidnapped and used as a bargaining tool. Now, obviously, that doesn't pan out, but... Yeah, as soon as that happens, the entire plan goes out of the window because they have to stop shooting. Anakin doesn't want to kill Padme. Obviously, no one wants to kill Padme. She's a very important senator. But what we see is then 
the 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 plan and or they they carry the day by being in, ingenious and i don't know i just think that's why the to me the um the the moral the fortune cookie makes sense before we get into it this is the episode with the most easter eggs so i think i'm just gonna go light speed if you guys don't mind um where do you think you're going somebody has to save her skin is right from leia in new hope uh plo Koon says anakin craves adventure and excitement uh in empire strikes back yoda tells luca jedi craves not these things um, Grievous gets off at tram substation 94, which is the same docking number as the docking bay in A New Hope. Grievous's claw ripping out from the rubble. Um, that reminded me of actually two things in the future. Vader holding up the walker in Rebels, and Luke in the Last Jedi flashback sequence. Um, Obi-Wan asks Anakin if he has a plan And B. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Good yes, reference. sir. Um, anyway, uh... Obi-Wan asks Anakin if he has a plan B. He also asks Anakin the same thing in Revenge of the Sith. Um, he, uh, let's see. Oh, Anakin tells R2 to stay with the ship, which is like the three millionth time he's told R- someone's told R2 to stay with the ship. Um, uh, let's see. And there's two more, which are memes, but I think we should bring them up right now. Grievous jumps down from a ledge, and he sees Obi-Wan with all the droids, and he says... Hello there, which is just yeah. beautiful, honestly. That um, to me is kind of the moment that pushes it over the edge. Where I think, okay, this episode is a aggr- this is aggressively comedic. Yeah, it is, and also yeah, there's um, so there's so many references. Also, um, uh, Grievous says, "I will deal with this Jedi myself," which is like almost word for word what he says in Revenge of the Sith. Also. Um, I, I love the fact that they do the reverse hello there. That makes me so happy. I don't know, I can't exactly tell you why, but it's like just such a, it's, <laughs> you never expect Grievous to do that, and then he just does. Um, the entire sequence, um, with the hyperdrive, um, nothing is impossible. You haven't exactly impressed me today. And then the bowling ball thing, all of that is just comedic gold, honestly. It's so good. Let's yeah, see. yeah, yeah. There, there, there's some good bits in there. Um, I do love the idea that Obi Wan's "Hello there" in Revenge of the Sith is him trying to poke fun at Beavis. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I love that too. Um, let's see. That really, that really drives home the idea that oh, that Obi Wan is really a master of trolling. There's a video about that on YouTube. We'll put yeah. That there's a video called Obi Wan Master of Trolling, and we'll put that literally written it in. And it is a masterpiece. They decide to fly. Anakin puts the control so the malevolence flies into a moon. Um, Star Wars in recent years, I don't know if either of you have noticed, has gotten a, an association, believe it or not, with the Beastie Boys because of JJ and Ryan Johnson try, deciding to name every single um abednado uh and all other star wars creators deciding to name every single abednado after a beastie boys song um so in the spirit of that can we get um i might even do an edit of this can we get sabotage um by the beastie boys over uh anakin and padme sabotaging the malevolence <laughs> that now <laughs> i i might do an edit of that i'm not gonna lie i think i might do an edit of that you know one thing that struck me about this episode was i think that 
the the Padme thing was not just an improvisational thing from Dooku. I think City if Sidious was in on this, and he which was, is quite possible he was because the malevolence was, the was a, over there. Yeah, the malevolence would be a big factor in tipping the scales. The medical station they already knew it was going to be near Naboo, so they knew Dooku and Dooku and Sidious knew that they were sending Grievous very close to Naboo. So I think that they knew that they might have to call in Padme and use her as a bargaining chip, which I just think is so cool. And it showed, I think it's just a cool example. If, if it is, if that is indeed the case, I think it's a very cool example of how detail oriented and how um, masterful some of Palpatine's evil machinations were. That's his thing. Um, one more. It thing. also lends itself to the, inability to understand what the hell Palpatine's plan actually is at any given time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a staple 100%. of Star Wars. Just what was his plan? doesn't matter. Now I know that both of you have seen Clone Wars. Um, uh, but, Jacob and Jared, do you reckon uh, did the tram track sequence in this remind you of the tram track sequence on Coruscant in uh, the volume 3 of the Clone Wars? Of Clone Wars 2 and 3? That's, a little that's bit, yeah. I didn't think of that until now, but yeah. Yeah, I, I it, it is reminiscent of it. I will say I'm kind of disappointed you didn't mention the best meme Easter egg low-hanging fruit of the whole episode. What did I miss? I spinning isn't flying, but it is a good trick. Oh, See, I forget, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about is, that. The funny thing is, I want to say, so this was when we were covering Phantom Menace in In a Galaxy. We referenced this episode. Um, wow. I, I was, and, and actually, Jacob and I were talking before we started recording, and I actually mentioned that specific line. And I'm like, we're gonna, I'm gonna say it. Um, and then I totally just let it slip. Um, yeah, I think it was, I want to say it was episode 9, 10 of In a Galaxy when we, no, not 9, 10. No, 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 definitely not. Like, 15, 16, nearing the end of Phantom Menace, there's an episode called, uh, we call it Korra Ratama, um, after Duel of Fates. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this episode. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this episode, uh, in there. So, yeah. Um, and I even have in my notes, um, referencing spinning from episode one. I think we referenced this in an episode in the previous in Galaxy episode. Yep. Uh, that's all I have well, for I'm this. Well, I'm stealing from you, but it's the best line in the episode. It, it's, it's a good line. <laughs> I think one of the funniest things about this episode for me, not in like an intentional humor, <laughs> Anakin's lack of chill. He has no That chill. is just a part no of his chill, character. 100% whatsoever. That like, he, it's a miracle that his marriage with Padme is still a secret by Revenge of the Sith. I oh know, God. right? But like, seriously, Anakin is one of the worst secret keepers ever. I and I like, I know. I think there is something that Obi Wan. I think we've realized, but then in seven, that Obi Wan kind of figured it out. But like, he he. Didn't I think even he knows it. something's going on. I don't think he realizes that he's actually married to Padme. Yeah, like, and I, I don't, don't know think how he that says, has happened in season go. seven. Obi Wan. In season yeah. seven, I want to point out Obi Wan says, uh, "Say hi to Padme for me." Yeah, he says, "He says tell Padme." I said hi. So, like, what does that mean? How much does that? Yeah, I agree with Jared on this one. I don't think he thought he was married, but by by what miracle 
Is that happening? Anakin is like... like... <laughs> I definitely he... agree. Yeah. The second Padme comes up, Anakin has like no veneer of, oh, we must rescue Senator Amidala. Senator Amidala. Padme! 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 <laughs> he sounds like he sounds like Tobey Maguire in the old Spider-Man movie. Not Mary Jane! Where it's like, dude, you have a cover. I, I just, I want to know how dipshit kept this secret for three years. I want to know, like, yeah, how many so times you have to overtly ahead. tell everybody in the room that you have something going on with this chick. Yeah. And somehow everybody go, huh? <laughs> yeah, like the way, he, the way he treats Rush Clovis later on. Yeah, Clovis is, like, too far. That's egregious. He, he clearly is very, very jealous. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Jacob, you have some trivia, insane. and then we'll wrap this up. Oh, yeah, Sorry. sure. Yeah. Wait, Jared, were you going to say yeah. something? I thought I heard no. you for a sec. No, 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 you're good. I was waiting for your trivia. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so some more fun things that I found, thanks to uh, the um, StarWars.com trivia gallery that I thought I would share, that I thought would be cool. So Anakin's cruiser, the Resolute, has the you know the, the you know how the um the Venator classes have those two uh, conning towers on top with the big windows. Apparently, the Resolute has those painted red as opposed to the normal gray to signify that it's a flagship. Personally, I think that's a bit of a design flaw because that's kind of telling that's kind of telling the enemy where to shoot to kind of cause the most the most chaos since that would be in a leadership position. But what do I know? The original script had Padme going to the battle site to aid in the evacuation of the medical station, and then she was going to get snatched away by Grievous. But they ended up changing it to a. Uh, they ended up changing it before they put out the episode. Also, in the original script, Anakin's plan to board the Malevolence included him making a micro jump, a mic like a, a, a small hyperspace jump. That would deposit the Twilight very close to the Malevolence's hull. And this could be totally unrelated, but I think that they ended up reusing that idea when they had Anakin jump the Jedi shuttle very close to Grievous's flagship. Um, in I can't remember what the episode is called, but Grievous when they're rescuing Eeth Koth over Saleucami. Grievous is that Grievous Intrigue? Intrigue? Yep. Yeah, I think that I, th I bet they recycled that for Grievous Intrigue. Because that seems too similar. Or as I call it, the episode before the best episode in the Clone Wars. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Also, <laughs> this this was very surprising to me. Apparently, the final frame of Destroy Malevolence, which has Anakin, mm -hmm. Obi-Wan, Padme, R2, and C-3PO, that was the very first time in in uh, real-world chronology that a, a, video, a Star Wars media TV or movie had all those characters in one frame. Which was I really surprising because I didn't know it was the first time ever. That's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. First time ever for all five of them in one shot because in episode one there was a shot like that, but it didn't have C three PO because he was still on tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, just one little other note that I really wish um, we got because we get a lot of Grievous versus Obi Wan in the Clone Wars. Um, and I know there's like a little bit of debate where like George Lucas and Dave Filoni go, well, it's specifically said that Grievous and Anakin never met. Yeah. Um, whether or not that's supposed to apply to Obi-Wan, I don't really care about. Um, I just wish that Grievous's uh, performance in combat was a little bit easier to take seriously. 
uh, because as as somebody because like for me personally, like my favorite element about Star Wars is uh, like like the the Jedi and Sith philosophies and lightsaber combat and the seven forms. That's um, me. That's totally me. Jacob's you know, the like, like I'm the I'm the Force guy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's so it's so fascinating, and one of my favorite things from Legends was the way that like Obi Wan's fighting style changed, because uh, he used to be a Form Four specialist, like most Jedi in the Order at the time were, and then as the war went on, he became the master of Form Three, Sarisu, and that's why he's able to beat Grievous. He is the physical embodiment of defensive lightsaber combat, and I really would could have seen more fights that end in either Obi-Wan running like hell away from the fight or Grievous winning and Obi-Wan being able to slither away. I really dislike the amount of times we see Grievous lose, the amount of times we see Obi-Wan objectively win the fight. I totally Because I think it yeah. makes his I think it makes his skin of his teeth feet of Grievous even more incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally agree. Okay. But that's all I got. Yeah. Okay, if no one has anything else, then we're getting around to um, our speed round questions. We do this with every guest we uh, have on in the galaxy. We didn't do it with um, McDowell last time because she already answered them on our interview. So if you want to see her answer those questions, go there. Um, so Jig and I are going to fire these at you. Um, you said before we were recording um, that you specifically did not watch our episode uh, because you want to get these like completely new. Yeah. Okay, let's 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 do this. Okay, number one. Who is your favorite Star Wars character? Used to be Darth Vader, now it's Kylo Ren. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Okay. What is your favorite movie trilogy? Star Wars movie trilogy. Ooh. Okay. Uh <laughs> gun to my head, and this would require a lot of explanation to do so, but the sequel trilogy. Yes! I was I respect that. It oh, Eli's is. very happy about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, mine is too, so... Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Uh, what is your Star Wars... What is your favorite Star Wars movie um, if you don't have a movie ranking? But if you do have a movie ranking, movie ranking. Pull up my letterbox because I have it written down right there. One sec. Okay, hold up, hold up. Actually, we have letterbox. We'll put those in the description. If you want to see Jacob and my uh, Star Wars movie ranking, you can check that out there. Quick plug. I got it. <laughs> Rank okay, okay, so I did the Skywalker saga rank. Okay. Um so this doesn't include Rogue One Solo or uh the the movie Clone Wars movie. movie. Yeah. But oh, going from for me, least favorite to favorite, Attack of the Clones of Skywalker, A New Hope, Force Awakens, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Empire, Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi. Interesting. Last Jedi favorite. Very Absolutely. Yeah. And I have um, almost gotten murdered on for that many oh times. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, Jacob, go ahead. Thank you for that. Um, what is your favorite non-Star Wars entertainment that you think people are missing movie, out on? The movie Star Wars. Non-movie the Star Wars. Non-movie Star Wars media that people are missing out on. It's a good, that's a very good question. Um, I will say... And this is cheating a little bit because I got into it because of Star Wars. But um, non-movie, I do not think enough people play the Soul Calibur video games. I think that it is one of the most 
hilariously convoluted and fascinating deep lores ever. And uh, it has the I, Star Wars, it has Vader and Gil Merrick and all those people in there, I think, right? Yeah, in Soul Calibur 4, Yoda, the Apprentice, and Darth Vader are all guest characters. Or wait, are you saying that it was Star Wars but not a movie? Yeah, I think I that's think what we were that saying. That was the goal, but oh, it's okay. But, yeah. like, but like, we turned we it around anyway, so... Yeah, we got an interesting yeah. answer anyway. I didn't know what that was, but that sounds really interesting. I might have to check it out now. Uh, ooh, let me let me try to actually answer the question correctly then. I would just say the video games in general. I, I, th I think that like... There's so much to mine from the video games. Like for me personally, uh, my one of my all-time favorite Star Wars games, even though it's abysmal, um, is Star Wars Obi Wan. It came out in like 2002. It was an exclusive to the original Xbox. It's I feel like, terrible, wasn't that the but it's one so good. Where it's like where the camera is just top down the entire time. Yeah, it, well, it's even worse. It's third person the entire time. Oh, and because the way the controls are mapped, you control your lightsaber with the right joystick. What? So you cannot move the camera. Oh my <laughs> oh my I have my Xbox controller right here. I'm trying to picture that. Um, wow. That's, that's, that's rough. Okay. Uh, who is your favorite Star Wars background character? If I were defining background character, Coleman Trevor. Oh, Ooh, good guy. Explain. Good man. Uh, I, I've made it my lot in sports podcasting to make fun of Coleman Trevor at every opportunity that I can. Um, I am on record as referring to him as the force's favorite idiot. Think that a character whom uh, was detailed to be a Cerisu specialist, defensive fighting style, uh, good at blaster deflection, who's a friggin' dinosaur with 360 degree vision, who somehow managed to get shot to death at point blank range is hysterical what is the in your opinion the coolest star wars species uh i will say i think the keldor are the most interesting to look at koto yeah there we go koto yeah uh okay what is your preferred star wars viewing order oh that's hard um for me, if I'm showing somebody new, I show them in release order uh, because I do not have the confidence in the prequels that I will be able to rope somebody in with them. If I'm showing somebody, I'm going to go four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine, Rogue One solo. Okay. So you're putting the, uh, you would put the anthologies after the sequel trilogy. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, unless I realize that like they're getting super, if they're getting really into it, I would show the Disney era stuff in release order. But I would definitely prioritize the Skywalker saga. Like if I know for a fact, like I did I can that this person will absolutely love Star Wars. I might take a chance and do chronological with all the movies. But if I'm showing somebody Star Wars and I'm like, I know I need to win them over. I know they need the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And then I can kind of like guide them through how hysterical the prequels are. And then they can get invested in the sequels. And if they're really, really into it, then they'd want to see Rogue One and Solo. What Star Wars planet would you go to for a vacation? For a vacation, Naboo. What is the coolest weird viewing order that you found? So not release order, not chronological order. 
but like what's the coolest like strange viewing order that you found yeah everybody talks about the machete order at this point which is staying unto itself i did see somebody posit the idea um I, I saw somebody say, like, bring something up about, like, well, how do you... Because a machete order is kind of based to work with one through six. And, like, how do you work the sequels into that? And I kind of got the idea that, like, you tell the sequ that, that you start with the sequels. We've actually... We did a viewing order um, episode of In a Galaxy, and we covered an order like that, where you start with the sequels and then go back. Yeah. The, I think the most... I think the best way to start with the sequels, and maybe you, this is what you guys get, is that you start with The Force Awakens, and then you do the OT. Yep. The, this is the Lockwood order, Jacob. Uh, yeah. And then, you and do, then between Last Jedi and Rise, of, Rise Skywalker. of Skywalker. You do the prequels. Yeah, maybe even just Revenge of the Sith. Because then that kind of primes you to see Anakin's fall juxtaposed with Ben's redemption. And I did an episode on the Bond cast where I basically gave like an hour and a half long lecture on Ben Solo's character arc. Um, but Ben Solo and Kylo, or Kylo Ren and Darth Vader are meant to be mirror images of each other. They tell the same story just going in the opposite direction. And I think seeing how Vader was born and how Ben repudiates Kylo Ren back to back would be very satisfying in a narrative sense. So yeah, I think, and as much as I hate the orders that exclude movies, I think if you just do seven, five, six, eight, three, nine, that would be interesting. You guys want to see more discussion about the Lockwood order, check out our viewing order episode down below. What would your job be in the Star Wars universe? Or what job would you want to have in the Star Wars universe, maybe? Okay. So I you know, as the as the name denotes, the Dark Jedi. Um I I I don't think we get enough of like the force wielding bounty hunter thing ever. Ooh. Uh so I would I that, that I think that would be my my uh my racket i'd you know do the whole like yeah i'll do the whole jedi training and then i'll go off and do my own thing uh like in the private sector as type? like an asajj ventress type but like less about redemption and her like it would be less soul searching and more just like the mandalorian yeah, yeah i was just kind of thinking of mandalorian specifically. i was just thinking of a character to compare it to like it wouldn't be exactly yeah like absolutely that, obviously. but yeah that, yeah that i think that sounds like a really interesting idea you talked about your love of this quote earlier, and of course, I also have a love of this quote. What is your favorite Star Wars, it, you know, it's like poetry, you know, it rhymes moment? Is it still the Ben and the um, Vader thing? Yes, absolutely. I think the best, in my opinion, again, it's, it's, all, it's really interesting when you apply the poetry rhyming thing to uh, Darth Vader and Kylo Ren. Because if you look at it, again, it's the same story backwards. If you look at the story of Darth Vader, you see somebody... You, Vader, Vader is born in the hellish fire of Mustafar. He loses everything he has left. The two people, you know, barring Ahsoka, the two people he loves the most, Obi-Wan and Padme, loses them. One dies and the other, he's just dead to them. 
and then he is scorched. His his outside is made to look as monstrous as he is on the inside at this point, and he's left for dead, and is left to die with no regard for what happens next. And if juxtapose that with the death of Kylo Ren, where Kylo Ren is fighting for a cause that he clearly doesn't even believe in anymore, on Kefbeer with Rey. They go toe-to-toe. They're going at it. He's about to give in to his darker instincts. And then in that final moment, there it is again. It's that family element that he, he can't let go of. And then Rey makes the move to take his life. And in the moment where she could have walked away and let him die, she heals him. And he is saved and brought back from the darkness in like the baptismal water. That is absolutely my favorite. It's the same story backwards. You you put everything, the great Missy Elliott said, you put the thing down, flip it, and reverse it. And it turns into the same story. Just beautiful. And uh, unfortunately now, because he died, just as tragic. <laughs> yeah. This is the Rise of Skywalker appreciative content I live for, people. If you could take one item or force power from Star Wars into the real world, what would it be and why? This is going to sound really selfish, but uh, I could win. Okay, so like any, uh, I've basically accepted that the ultimate get rich quick scheme is something like what Biff Tannen does with the sports all in Back to the Future. And in my mind, any good get rich quick scheme has to involve some amount of voyance about things that haven't happened yet. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to take Jedi level telepathy because then I can win any bet. (laughs) Nice. That's great. Um, And finally, one of the things Star Wars uh, fans love to argue about is pronunciation. Um, And we're just going to ask you to pronounce a character name and see how you do it because there's been controversy about this name. uh, And this, this person has been very influential in in a galaxy's history, in our pronunciation history. Uh, the bounty hunter who tries to kill Padme in Attack of the Clones. Um, how do you pronounce her name? Zam Wessel. Yes! Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> so we're recording with uh, context. We're recording with Devor from A Large View of the Force tomorrow. Um, it's going to be next week by the time this is out. But like, um, he swears to death that it's um, Wazel. Um and in the Bounty Hunter video game, she says, Hi, I'm Zam Wazell. Um, but the Wikipedia page in the Legends Wikipedia page, the canon one doesn't have any uh, pronunciation. But the Legends page lists both as the pronunciation. So there really is no right answer. But uh, Jacob and I both think Wessel is the right answer. Um, so, yeah, that's our speed round. Um, next. I will say, I have a similar beef with uh, one of my fellow Nerd Academy people. Uh, Mike Doling, who's like the other like big legends wonk on uh, Knights of the Nerd Republic. Uh, and he and I have like so many different pronunciations that the other one didn't realize other people pronounced it a different way until we like talked about it in front of a microphone. The yeah. example is one of my favorite legends Jedi is the Tusken Raider Jedi Asherad Asherad Hit, yeah. I think Eli, I think Eli knows a fair bit about Asherad. I love Asherad. Asherad hits awesome. I love him. He needs to come back. He's so fascinating. And little nugget, since you know who he is, and I won't spoil anything. 
Uh, if Asherad does not appear in the Kenobi series, they're missing out because no, that he totally scene should. writes itself. He totally sh- that would he be totally awesome. Should. I love Darth Krayt but, so much. I love Legacy. Great stuff. Yes, we talk about Legacy a lot too. Um, but I brain melted the first time I heard him say a Sharid Het, and I was what? like, "What did you just say?" <laughs> sure. Are you kidding me? That's an actual. Was oh a, what was God. that? Jeez. Oh uh, yeah, he he has all kinds of different pronunciations for me, and he. Oh, Mike and I argue so much about Star Wars because I'm the Legends guy who fell in love with the with the Disney stuff, and he doesn't hate Disney stuff. Like he is not like, you know, he's not like the quartering who has like 18 videos about why Ray is an attack on masculinity or anything stupid like that. That's just stupid but, like, though. That's he, not even a legitimate that's, like. Though honestly, look, the relationship you're describing with Mike is basically Jacob and I. Because I look, I just want to cut in here and say that look, I'm I'm not afraid to admit that the sequels made me very unhappy, and I don't particularly like eight, the nine, last not two seven. movies. Eight and nine. I love. I actually like seven, but eight and nine. They really rubbed me the wrong way, but I really, really don't like that I ended up having to share this opinion with so many people that are that are clearly just threatened by the idea of like women are making all these videos about oh the SJWs want to take away masculinity because they have a Jedi power and nothing is safe. Oh my god, it's terrible. it's so exhausting. It's terrible. Sorry, I, I just want to get that off my chest. But yeah, I, it is I don't like so them, refreshing. But... In this state of the fandom, to hear somebody who doesn't like the new movies, who's not a misogynistic prick, it's so nice. Like, I get more excited to hear somebody go, I like people having rights, but dislike the sequel trilogy. Hearing that excites me more than hearing that somebody else likes the light eye as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah, Like, not gonna lie. (laughs) Yeah. It gives me hope that we can, like, have this discussion and have fun talking about it and 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 still like risk and still respect people and not make it into a whole conspiracy theory thing <laughs> yeah it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show <clears throat> one quarter or this is a little segment of the show where we do something a little different this week we are doing it's a long story or we have to badly explain one star wars plot from any any Star Wars movie or TV show. And the other person, or I guess in this case people, are going to try and guess what it is. I have a one-sentence explanation, but I think you can get it. Okay. A monster tries to protect her egg from an armored invader. A monster tries to protect her egg from an armored invader. Ooh. Is this for both of us? Yeah. Both of you have at it. Man, I think I... Of the Mandalorian. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is this so the fro- the first part of the Frog Lady one? No, 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 no. I'm talking about. We're talking about season one. Um, Suga. Oh, the Mudhorn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mudhorn. Oh wow! Oh, I was wrong. I thought we were talking about the Frog Lady. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. A priest kidnaps a child for a cult. A priest kidnaps a child to be indoctrinated into a cult and eventually married to a politician much older than he is. Well, that's for the prequels, but the priest indoctrinated into a cult, that almost sounded like the Mandalorian for a second. Uh, I don't know specific... Oh, this is the Phantom Menace. Yep, ding, ding, ding. It is the Phantom Menace. We're going to end it for here now. Um, that's going to be it for this episode. Um, 
check out Jared, first of all. Um, Nerd Academy podcast, link in the description. His Twitter at DarkJedi2552, also in the description. Um, you can check out us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can check us out. Um, we're on Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod. I'm now on Twitter. I have not my own personal Twitter account now at OchiFan327. Um, <laughs> my username for everything these days. Oh, email us, SWNAGalaxy at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a uh, rating and review. It really helps. Um, we're actually having a second smaller episode. It's my birthday later this week. And um, for my birthday, we recorded a little four minute episode about why Ochief Bestoon is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be coming out. When you're, watch- when you're listening to this, it's going to be coming out tomorrow, Thursday, November 19th. Um, Jared, thanks for coming on. Uh, it was so oh my fun. God, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, I had a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, next week, uh, we are going to be uh, doing an episode that I've been excited about for a long time. Uh, we call it A Larger View in a Galaxy. Um, we're going to be talking with uh, Devor from A Larger View in the Force. Um, it's a collaboration, I think, that's been a long time coming. Uh, and we're really excited about that. But um, in the meantime, uh, may the Force be with you, always. <laughs>